You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect <laughs> life. What's up, everybody? What's up with me? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to The Word on the Hill. This is the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is DJ Muss. Peter Muss. Uh, so did you see the... That was weird. I, yeah, I just am always... I Ever since that Saturday Night Live skit where they have the priest who, like, goes fast and then slow, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been very <laughs> acutely aware of how fast and slow I say oh, things man. or sing things. Are you? I'm just, yeah, 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 absolutely. Especially in mass when you're doing a collect, you're like, and you're like, what? And because we all do it. like They captured it so well on they that Saturday did, Night Live thing. It's just the best. And it's right best. now, we're like uh, on the north end of a storm outside. Like The north it, end? The north end. Are well, we? Because it's moving south-southwest. Oh, like yeah. the narthex of a storm. <laughs> I don't know what or, that is. Or... Or south by south by southwest, it's like the festival of weather things, isn't there? The south by southwest. That festival? is a festival, yes. Yeah, I, I watched. A, I, li- I watched a podcast. I listened to a podcast. <laughs> there actually are there are video podcasts. Yeah, you could also just watch your iPod. <laughs> you could. Who has iPods anymore? Dude, I don't know. No, I'm sure people do. They do, but I mean, the millions of smartphones promulgate. I was talking to somebody today, promulgate. actually, in the um. In the narthex, and they were saying, "Hey, I listen on the web because all of the storage on my computer is full." Oh dear! And I, and I was like, "I could, you can upgrade your hard drive. That, that's possible." Well, you can upgrade your hard drive. Yeah, I said, "Well, I the can rest help. of us can't." And then I was like, "You get ex-. then they were like, "I get external," and then I was like, "Yep, Natalie, you can." Oh, called Oh, I don't get it. Yeah, you know what's funny is <clears throat> nope. is whenever I ask anybody about listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. they say, "Oh yeah, I sit around and laugh." <laughs> Uh, do they? Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. That, that, no, uh, there's people. Of the we, Gruber ladies. Oh, were, it was about the Groobers. Yeah, they were. They, they were we tickle their funny bone. We we um we have a lot of fans. We have a lot of folks who uh, listen to us. So that's exciting and really intimidating. Yeah, uh, you know, this is the thing. Is like if I knew that I was getting up to talk to three thousand people, horrifying. You know, I think I would. I think I would behave differently. I would. At least I hope we would. <laughs> I don't but know. I kind of hope you wouldn't, really. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of the same. I am what I am, Father Peter. And you're just like Popeye. We ate a bunch of spinach for lunch today. Do you guys know that every time before the podcast we eat food? I think they did know that. We talk about it a lot. Not not for a long time though. We haven't talked about our food consumption. We today, haven't. Today mm. I made pork chops, mm. and last night I made my very first loaf of um, banana bread. Hmm. Which brings us to the first reading, which is Jonah 3, 1 through 5, 10. What a strange thing that you just did. <laughs> we should point out that, that it is the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. Are we really just going in? Yeah, yeah. Are I, we just But all of a sudden, all of a sudden I, ha- I had the voices <laughs> of hundreds of people going like, oh, no. They're going to they're gonna do the old school, like, keep talking about weird oh. stuff forever. So then I was just like, oh, no, man, just like, just make the move. Just just pull the trigger. Go you keep moving. All right. Third Sunday of Ordinary Time. And Which is so weird. Why? That there's no first? <laughs> no, that it's like we're in ordinary time and it's snowing. I don't even know. Ordinary time is supposed to be green, but like, is I don't it? even oh, know. Oh, because that's the liturgical color. color. Yeah, like I'm just kind of looking forward to Lent so that I can anticipate <laughs> spring. And I'm looking forward to Lent. Dude, um, I, I have a Catholic soul. You do. You do. Hmm. All right, so our first reading, Jonah. Is that what you said? Yeah, Jonah. Tell us more. Three, one mm. through five, and verse 10. And 10. Okay, there's a missing piece in there. Oh, yeah. Did you read it? Did you read what's missing? 
I did oh. not read what was missing. Oh, it's not. I mean, it's nothing profound. It I mean, really it is, is. It is profound, but it's not like oh, I can't believe they left that out. It's, like, it's all right. Yep. Uh, our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm twenty-five. And we're looking at verse four through five, six and seven, eight and nine, and our responsicle is four a. Mm-hmm. What is it called? It's not called a responsicle, is it? it? It's actually called an antiphon. Oh, the antiphon. Uh, but you know that every time you say that, I just like I'm so happy because I want to have go and eat a responsicle. Did anybody Not respond? One. Not on, one on responsicle. Came what in kind of flavor a responsicle is? Well, we challenge you challenged people to make one and then send us pictures of it. Yeah, so, so you, I think what we've proven is either our listeners are lazy or disinterested, <laughs> <laughs> or a mixture of both, or really busy. Or yeah, oh shoot, that's a better option, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, because because I myself am trying to imagine what I would create to as for the flavor variety of a responsible. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But our second reading comes from Saint <clears throat> Letter's first Saint Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which we know is actually not specifically the first letter, but that it is titled the first letter to the Corinthians. It's the first one we have. Yep. Chapter 7, verses 29 to 31. 29 to 31. I believe that we are in 1 Corinthians all the way until Lent. <laughs> did you know that? No, I, I did not know Indeed. that. Indeed. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be my third time preaching through the lectionary cycle, by the way. What now? Say that again. I've been ordained for just about. Oh, uh, oh, oh, as a priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just about. Really? Yeah, yeah. Six years. Nine. No. I'm, I'm approaching Wait. nine. Actually, I will have finished eight. So, so three year cycle. Yeah, three year third cycle. time. Yeah, this I think is my third the time. time. Third time. Wow. Yeah, it's almost your your. What what's nine? What is nine years? Is that the tinfoil anniversary? Oh, like, what do you give on that? I, I have that in nine. my computer. I can search it really. Quick. That's all right. Well, you you can search it, but I'm going to move on and talk about the gospel reading, which is coming from the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, verses fourteen through twenty. Dude, so that's, there you go. I like Mark. I, I still have this long-term study thing where I really want to profoundly understand the phrase kaiagenito in Mark and how he oh uses it. Oh, my gosh. Aganito and aganito and aganito. You just keep... <laughs> oh! oh! Greek Dude, humor. That was awesome. I wish you could have looked into Scott's eyes as he did that <laughs> and gestured with his hands. I made that joke when I was a Greek professor once. You didn't? I did. You Why didn't. would you not? <laughs> I mean, come on. I would actually make that again a toe and again a toe and again a toe. Yes, now it's old. <laughs> I'm, just oh, kidding, I'm just kidding. Oh, that was funny. Oh, I'm I was kidding. Come on. I was demonstrating proficiency by replying back yeah. in the same manner in which you demonstrate the intellectual competency to me. You nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, yeah, this is exciting, though. We're in the book of Jonah. I don't Which feel is, like that's one of those books where we ever get to go. We never. We I. I Nobody, don't feel like we've ever talked about Jonah. Have we not? I not mean, even we, three years. ago? No, this is our first. This, this is, is this is our first cycle. Yes, you're right. So actually, we, we may have once, but like, dude, give me some context up in here okay. on, on <clears throat> Jonah. Jonah. No, here's where I think that I think the the common thread, which will take us through these readings, is, um, just give it to deep me. within Jonah. Jonah, kind of, kind of makes... like Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Oh boy! We the, <laughs> the linking fibrous um, rope that connects these readings together. Yep, sounded deep in the reading of the book of Jonah. Good. I don't know why I'm I'm going. You know what it is? Is nope. I, I'm already kind of thinking about you going away to to England and stuff. So I'm have an English accent in my heart. Don't be sad yet. I'll be with you in spirit and Skype. 
Yep, I, hey, I figured out a new way to do some cool recording. By Good. The way. Yeah, yeah. We okay. So about that off air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this. This is it's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> I don't know why I call it. I'll just and think I'm not about trying it. to put you on the spot, but, but okay. I wanna, I'm curious if because this is, I think one of the most important things that no one knows about Joan. All right. So so here's the deal. Um, well, okay, so here's what we know about Jonah. We all know the story. Kind of in general, there's a great Veggie Tales version if you've never actually read the book that you can watch. And it's oh, dude, fairly did, faithful. Did, did you just do that? I did. I, it's I, I pretty ex- faithful to I, the okay, text. I accept that. Okay. But Jonah, so he was a prophet, right? He Jonah was. Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh, but he really never got it. Sad but true. <laughs> did you ever see the Veggie Tales? No, I didn't. Okay, there's a whole musical number at the end. Um, it's all veggies. But Jonah was a prophet. I can't say that without hearing the song in my head now. <laughs> and all of you parents are probably hearing the same thing. And all of you kids who were raised on Veggie oh, Tales right. too. That's right, all of you too. Anyway, okay. So Jonah is a prophet. Um who was asked by God to do something difficult, right? So he, so he was, call- well, okay, now is the time to he ask was my ca- question. He was called to Nineveh, like, right off the bat. It was so the very what, first thing. Well, we don't know We don't know anything about him prior to that, really. We're kind of thrown into the story of Jonah. He was familiar with the word of the Lord because when the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him, go into Nineveh, the very the city, and announce that it has come up, to, uh, that the outcry has come up to him, mm. um, and that it's evil, yeah. he hears it, and he totally grasps immediately what it means. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so, so here's here's the time for the question: What did Jonah do that no other prophet in the Old Testament did? Ran. <laughs> uh, that's that might be true, um, as far as we know, but there's something more significant than that on like a theological level. Um, he um, who is he sent to? Uh, the the uh, uh, the Gentile world. So what does he do? What does he do as a prophet that no other prophet does? Yeah, he goes to the Gentile world. He's the only one. It's Ooh, I, really fascinating. I guess I didn't even consider that reality in relationship to these readings. I mean, I know it in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I figured you did, but it, but that's sort of what the lens through which I, I was sort of reading these things because oh. I think it's so. There's so much. I wish we had more time to talk about Jonah. Jonah sets off on his mission to to go to. to be the first prophet to go to a non-Hebrew. So there's prophets to go. He to doesn't the, set off. He he's like he he well, gets sent and he bails and then he goes in the, on a <laughs> ship and everybody and the ship is capsizing and everybody's praying to the gods and he's snoring in the basement. That's true. The, the next thing you know that everybody's like, hey, why are you snoring? The captain comes to him and is like, dude, we're dying. And then they cast lots because he's not fessing up the fact that he's not doing what he's supposed to. In the Veggie Tales version, they play Go Fish. No, they don't really. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's great. They, yeah, so they cast lots and they figure out that it's Jonah. And Jonah's like, "Yep, I'm, I'm it." And they're like, "What? Are you kidding yeah, me?" The and worst. then, then they throw him overboard appropriately. So, but where does he set off from in the beginning? Uh, do you remember? It seems so uh, insignificant. Amanthi? No, that's where he's from. Tarshish? Tar- n- no, he headed for Tarshish. Joppa? Joppa. Which sounds totally, there's only one other time in the entire Bible, to my knowledge, that the city of Joppa is mentioned. Any idea where? Um, no, but I- We I'm, talked about it recently. Really? Really recently. Well, a couple weeks ago. Oh, man. The, you're showing my the weakness of my confessor's memory. No, no, it's, you're, you're <laughs> oh, that's good. I guess that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Um, in the new, I'm trying to think of all these rhetorical, or the, all these professorial questions to, to or, or Platonic, Arist- Platonic Aristotelian questions. questions. I'm just your friend, dude. Socratic, Socratic. Socratic. I couldn't, think, I, man. I couldn't think of the word. Socratic questions to get us there. 
<laughs> so Peter, <laughs> do you remember Peter a couple weeks ago went down to raise that girl Tabitha from the dead? Oh, and he hold stayed on. at the house of Simon the Tanner. Yeah, didn't in a d- town didn't called Pigs in the Blanket? Yeah, at Joppa. The only other time the city of Joppa is mentioned happens to be when the first pope is called for the first time to go out to the non-Israelite world and share the gospel for the first time. He sets off from Joppa. Again, not coincidental, the only other time you see Joppa mentioned is when Jonah is the only prophet to go to the non-Israelite world with this message. So the tie-in is is really, really huge, which is partially why, to put it in context, why Jonah doesn't want to do this. Because if he is, now we don't know much about Jonah prior to this, but if he was a prophet, if he's familiar with the Lord, I mean, the common understanding, even in Peter's time, this is why it's such a struggle for the early church to try to convince the world of this, um, the understanding was the people of God are Israel. Israel is the people of God. We are the chosen ones. We are the covenant family. Yes, we'll make some exceptions if people want to be brought into it, and they can, you know, we we can we can bring them in. That's fine. Yeah. But the idea of going out to the Gentile world and actually sharing this message with them, now, you know, you can you can see that on one level and say, well, that seems so insular and circle the wagons and nationalistic and all these other things. But we also need to know a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of what nation? Do you know? Iraq? No. Um, no. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have laughed at that. That was so mean. <laughs> Iraq. Pathetic. Pathetic you in your, know your history of the 4th century BC. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was the capital of Assyria. Oh. And what, you, what do we know? Are you being Assyrians? Ah, uh, very good. What, what, is, what do we know Assyria for? <laughs> Um, In the Bible, biblically speaking. For exiling the ye old Israel. (laughs) Well, which part of it? The northern kingdoms. Yeah, the northern tribes. Remember, they're the ones that took them off into exile. So that's in the memory stream of Jonah. So he's thinking, okay, wait, this is the capital of the nation who hauled so many of our brethren off into exile and killed them and took uh, took us over. Not only that, they were, I mean, what we know historically and archaeologically about the Assyrians and about the Nineveh, they were some of the most brutal, ugly, bloodthirsty, violent people in human history. There was actually, I forget which king it was, there was an Assyrian king that commanded a palace to be built to himself, purely built out of the bones of all the people who he had conquered. Make no bones about it. Oh, there you go. But I mean, think about that for a second. That sounds like like Kesha when she had all of her fans send in send in their their teeth, and she made a brazier that she wore on stage of all of her fans' teeth. What? Yeah, I'm so happy. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) <laughs> Dude, I'm sticking with VeggieTales. I'm sticking with VeggieTales. I'm just bringing it to a contemporary age. I'm trying to as well. <laughs> but so so it's so we hear this story, and if we are familiar with the story of Jonah, he built a palace out of bones, out of the bones of his enemies. Is so this, I mean, is this the reigning king that Nineveh <laughs> that uh, that brother man has to go into? No, the, but this no. is just this is just the this story of them. the nation. This is the story of the nation. This is their yep. reputation. Uh, I, I, but I mean, so, you know, we, we kind of think of Jonah as this, well, what a jerk, you know, he didn't want to go there. He didn't want, and even after he goes after this point in the story, remember they all, he, so he goes and he, he says, he's got a message from God, 40 days and Nineveh should be destroyed. They should believe in God and repent. They do it. First of all, what we're seeing in the story is Nineveh, this horrendous nation is completely juxtaposed with Israel herself who are constantly being sent prophets, who are constantly being warned, who are constantly being asked to repent because God will take away their kingdom and they will have punishment. They don't listen at all. They continuously don't listen. The Ninevites of all people are told once and they repent in sackcloth and ashes. 
And the king, what we're missing here they're, is... They're told once in one-third version. Right. He's supposed to go three days through the city, right. and he does one, and, and it travels through everything, and they're, they're like, Up to done. the king. And yeah. I'm sad. I'm a little sad that they they uh, we don't read this particular passage. But it, what's missing between verse five and ten is when the king himself stands up and he basically commands the whole nation, like, "Look, this is a big deal." He himself um, puts on sackcloth and ashes and repents and says, "Wow, what have we done?" I mean, it's a pretty profound scene, and especially if you recognize. This isn't just some nation out there that happens to not know God. This is the nation that builds palaces out of their enemies' bones to show how brutal, how bloodthirsty, and how horrendously powerful they are. That's who we're talking about. I mean, that's yes. who Jonah doesn't want to go to, which, quite frankly, you can't blame him. It's not just that he's thinking nationalistically that oh, I don't want to go to those people because they're foreigners or because they're the outsiders, but because they might put me in their bone palace and kill me. And destroy me because they're horrifying. That's Jonah's thought process. That's why he wants to run. Yeah. Um, I want to just make a quick yeah. connection to Do last we week's do? readings. I don't even remember them. Uh, it, we had Samuel in the first reading. Oh, I loved last week's readings. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Samuel was sent to prophesy against Eli right off the bat. So we have yeah, these kind yeah, of like yeah. really intense prophetic um, uh, uh, givings. What is what is the church trying to tell us about ordinary time? It's prophetic. You are meant to go out. It's yeah. evangelical. But you're meant to go out to places that are going to be really scary. That's the theme that I'm picking up as we're entering into ordinary time. What does it mean to be a just... I mean, I know ordinary comes from the term ordinal because it's numbered. Counting. But, it but mean, there's it also first, just second, third, fourth, yeah. fifth. Yep. But there's also just the level that it, it's also... It's, it's not a feast season. It's not a special... It's just... It's everyday life. So what is... What these readings are, are, are showing me is what does everyday life look like for the Christian? What does everyday life look like for the person who's serious about this stuff? Well, it means that you're going to be asked to do things that are really challenging, and you're going to be asked to go and prophesy sometimes against the priest who raised you or against the city Oof. that could kill you yeah. or against whatever it is. Yeah, That's tough. In, in a lot of ways. And and again, that's what I'm hearing. And again, what we're not shown in this story, Jonah doesn't, he's kind of a schmuck. He, he, you know, it actually says what we get in verse 10, when God saw that by their actions, how they had turned away from their evil, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them and he didn't carry it out. And if we read on, you know, Jonah goes up and he gets a nice spot sitting by this tree to watch Nineveh be destroyed because he's like well and, and, it's and too late for them Jonah because... was was uh, had great grief and oh, was yeah. confused and he prayed yeah. the Lord and asked him like Lord why didn't you like blow him up you know right. like why didn't you destroy them I mean he's yeah. like he keeps on trying to avoid it but he has to do it and then like he does even does it incompletely which is so it is which is such a great explanation of how evangelism actually goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, because the we, most shocking part of the story of Jonah is that Jonah's just left there in that. There's no massive conversion on Jonah's part where he's like, oh, I get it now. Oh, I understand the ways of the Lord. Oh, God's people are spared. Da, 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 da. It's, we're left with Jonah ticked off on a mountain with a dead vine that was supposed to give him shade, but died, shade, but, but, but died. the Lord like withered it. It's the worst. <laughs> Waiting for a big fireball to take out the city of his enemies. Yeah. And that's the end. The end. The end. Which is, again, you know, we made this case a couple of weeks ago. I'm convinced that the entirety of the Old Testament is designed to make us thirst and long for the New Testament. Because how can we just be left there? 
How can we be left with this guy who's just witnessed the convert the wholesale conversion of this entire nation and have a hard heart, be angry at God, and be wishing their ruin and their burning? <laughs> the end. The end. There's got to be more, right? I mean, the human heart longs for more than that. Surely there's something else to this. And I, I luckily, praise be to God, we have the juxtaposition of Jonah and then Peter later on. And I'm convinced that if you read Acts carefully, Peter doesn't really want to go to Caesarea. He doesn't, or is that where it is? Yeah, it's Caesarea. He doesn't want to go up there and, and preach to, to Cornelius and all of his, his friends. He doesn't necessarily, it's not his, necessarily his idea that they receive the Holy Spirit just like all the apostles did at Pentecost. But later on, the Council of Jerusalem, when he's giving an account for all this, he said, look, who am I to withstand the ways of the Lord? It's not my decision. It's not my choice. I don't necessarily want these people. Right. He doesn't say that. But, right. you know, but he says, who am I? It's not my call. I'm the pope. I'm the head of the church on earth. But it's not my call to decide who's in and who's out. If right. God wants them and he wants to change their hearts and he wants to give them the grace of the Holy Spirit, then who on earth am I to withstand that? Yeah. Jonah chooses to withstand that. <laughs> but they're given real. But it's amazing the juxtaposition that we're actually given with that. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. This is, <laughs> it's, it teaches us so much about how we're actually supposed to respond and how prayer is literally, there's, it's so radically essential Yeah. that, that how are you going to even have an argument with God unless you're actually disposing and letting your heart um, be, uh, letting the Lord have access to your heart? Well, see, that, that's the thing though, because it's not, let's see, how do I say this? Prayer. It's not as if Jonah is not in communication with God. I mean, he is right. in a certain sense praying. He's telling the Lord what what's up. He's saying what he thinks. Yeah. It's not that he's just totally on his own, Sorry. but he's not disposed himself to the Lord's will. Yes. There's a difference between sitting and, you know, just yes. saying rote prayers or showing up or, or saying, I need this or I want this or totally. I, I feel like this. Yes. And there's a difference between that and disposing yourself to what the Lord wants. Because Jonah's in conversation with God. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about but that. But he's not disposed to what God wants. Right. There's the difference there. So we can sit in adoration, or we can go and sit in prayer, and we can just rattle off prayers, or we could just give our laundry list of all the things that we want. But is that disposing ourselves to what it? Because you know, this is what we learned with Samuel last week, right? There's two pieces. There's two major parts of prayer. There is standing before God. There's standing in the presence of God, putting ourselves there. And then there's the receptivity, then hearing and listening. And that's what Samuel had to learn, right? He yeah. had to learn to hear the voice of God and understand what he wanted from him. That's part two, I guess, of, of prayer. And that's what Jonah can't do. Yeah. Says I. Says you. So. Let us embrace the psalm. Make me know your ways, O oh Lord. Teach me your paths. Because <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm extending that. I went up. I know, that was good. It was like, make me know your ways, O oh Lord. Teach make me your paths. <laughs> well done. Yeah, thank you. You too. So teach me your ways, O oh Lord. That's our res response. It's just simply called the response, yeah? Yeah, that's just the end. <laughs> that's, that's all that's, we got. That's, oh, antiphon. That's our fancy. Yeah. Word. Okay, so teach me your ways, O oh Lord. It, I, I love, I love it when the church, in her great wisdom, has the psalm interacting with the first reading. And here I see this profound case of the psalm yes. really interacting with the first reading. Absolutely, this is what Jonah cannot say. This is what he's not doing. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. He 
we should read the book of Jonah. We should see the miracle, the flat out miracle that takes place, the hardness of Jonah's heart, even having witnessed this miracle. And we should say, wow, gosh, I don't want that kind of hardness. I, I teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach me what you want to do in the way that Jonah couldn't see. I mean, Jonah's just a tragic figure. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of cool about Psalm 25, Psalm 25 is what we what we call an acrostic psalm, and we've talked about acrostics before, right? Yeah, it's, it's something that if it gets on your skin, it's going to melt it away. <laughs> yeah, you need some preparation H for that. <laughs> what? Nope. Is that a... <laughs> not something... Oh, no, acoustic. Uh, oh, acoustic. Very good, very good. Yeah. No, acrostic means that it starts with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet so that then you can... Uh, make sense of it and rememorize it. Rememorize yeah. it. Remember, rememberize it. Remember so yeah. So each line begins with a correspond. Each line begins with a. a Olive bid get himmel hut. Wow! Look at you. Yeah, I, I can't even remember my Hebrew alphabet, dude. But that's like all I learned in my Hebrew class in seminary. By well, the way, at least you got that. Yeah, but I can't remember it now. That's well, you got you got Olive up to G, bet I think. Gimel het. <coughs> What's after het? Let's move on. <laughs> I know Greek, but I don't know Hebrew very well. Uh, um, let's oh, move on. Don't expose oh, my ignorance on the air, Father somebody, Peter. Somebody I just got busted. Yeah, it wasn't me. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, so the first line would be like letter A. It begins with an A, second line with a B, third line with a C. But the idea is not just – so you're right. There is there's the idea of memorization. There's the idea of rhythm. Because remember, originally the Psalms, th their most proper context is in the liturgy. They're not Their most proper context is not just sitting by yourself in a room just reading. Right. Their most proper context is in the liturgy being sung. It, it, and sung things are rhythmic. They ought to be, so that you can remember them. It's it's like a musical, you know, like uh, yeah, getting together and watching a musical alone. I mean, like watching oh, a watching a musical alone. That just sounds sad. Whereas oh, like singing musical songs with each other around like a dinner table, it sounds really fun, you know. Teach me your path, oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that was frightening. Thanks. Thank you. But the idea part, so, so yes, there's the rhythm and there's there's the memorization, but there's also a pedagogy to it. And the reason for acrostics tend to be, so why have it be lettered? Because course, it's, it's it's trying to describe uh, the full spectrum of totality, something. Totality, right? Yeah. Everything from A to Z is contained in this. And what I'm seeing that I think is just kind of interesting. So again, the context of the first reading, putting in light of the gospel, what we know will eventually happen Jonah's being sent out to the Gentile people. One of the things that the early church struggles with yeah. is this idea that, wait, could the covenant actually be for everyone? Is it really meant to go out to the ends of the earth? And Paul is going to make a whole argument in the New Testament that, yeah, from the beginning, the Bible is clear that that's God's intention. He wants it to do that, even though he revealed it slowly. So in light of the first reading, I think one of the reasons that the church gives us an acrostic psalm is to show that, teach me your ways, Lord. What, what are your ways? What are your paths? What do you want to make known to me? It's that everyone from A to Z, all nations of the earth, are meant to proclaim your glory. Yes. Everything. All of creation yes. should sing out this. Everything from A to Z. And that's, again, what Jonah couldn't quite wrap his mind around, which God shows to slowly reveal over time, in which we in the grace of the new covenant in the new testament in the light of the church can look back and see which is why we call our church catholicos right which means universal yes. it is a through z that's the whole nature of our ecclesiology that's who we are so the psalm is in a certain sense it's answering the question of jonah number one what is it that god wants to teach jonah and us 
But in, an, in asking the question of being taught, the very structure of the psalm is answering the question. Teach me your ways. Oh, God's ways are that he wants everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of a neat. I want woo, woo. everything. <laughs> Sounds so, like so, Macho Man Randy Savage. So, so when you say you want everyone, what do you mean? He says, I want everybody. I think that's from The Professional. I can't remember, though. I never saw it. That's Snap into a Slim Jim. Slap into a Slim Jim. Okay. <laughs> First Corinthians. Oh, First Corinthians. All right. I've been struggling with First Corinthians. Um, because there's so much context that's needed to understand this, because this is a weird little passage. Let's just read it it's short. I mean, brethren, the appointed time has grown very short. Mm. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with it. Mm-hmm. For from this world, f- for the form of this world is passing away. Oh, yeah, no wonder. This is like you're in thesis brain, dude. This is exactly what you're living right now is, is how do we deal with what the, what the created order is. And, but then, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, read, I'm reading on to you. Well, that's a part of it. But he, here's the bigger problem. Um, I mentioned some of the issues that come up with St. Paul, and he gets a bad rap. He gets accused of being sexist, of hating marriage. And of hating of, buying goods and wives and uh, <laughs> yeah, goods You should and never stuff. buy wives. He doesn't want Or mourning, even. Anything. Bu- did but I say buying wives? Well, you said buying goods or wives. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was an Oxford yeah. comma in there. But <laughs> anyway, um, but, so here's the thing. Here's this weird little line. He says, from now on, let those who have wives act as though they didn't have them. Which is just bad marriage counseling, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible Go marriage home counseling. And pretend you're not married. No, like, like I've actually said that in my heart. You know what? I have to say that I've totally, entirely discounted this passage in my heart. Uh, you know, so be- many be- because, people have. because because I'm like, really, what are you talking about, dude? And he is talking about something. Here's the thing: just a few lines before in chapter seven. He made the ar- one of the things that's going on in Corinth is that it appears that married couples are being told that they should not live as married couples, so to speak, right? That that sexual intimacy is bad because it's too materialistic, and you should be focused on spiritual things. It's this kind of neo gnosticism or proto gnosticism, right? Neo gnosticism. Be careful how you say that. Proto proto gnosticism. Yeah. But it's this idea that material things are bad, spiritual things are good. That's partially that's how we right, know that there was another. It? No, Father. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm but that's just... also how we know that there was another letter because Paul quotes a letter that they wrote him and says, "Hey, concerning the matters you wrote me when you said that it's really good for husbands not to touch their wives." He says, that's not a good idea because married couples should act like they're married. So he just in this very same chapter said, no, if you're married, you should act like it. You should give one another (laughs) to each other in an intimate way. And now you're like, wait, what? You just said the opposite. And now you're saying if you have wives, act like you don't have them. Here's the deal. Paul has moved on from sort of practical advice to married couples, which he gave a minute ago, to a, a sort of an eschatological view And what he's saying is, okay, all of this being said, yes, give yourselves to your spouses. I mean, you're married. You're married. You're in a sacrament. I'm not married, so I don't fully understand that. Um, I actually prefer my state, he says. He's not slamming marriage. He says, I prefer the state that I'm in because it makes sense to me, but not everybody's in that. So I'm not going to, you know, tell you how to live your marriage necessarily. But, But he's saying, despite that, the time is short. Remember, the first century church expected that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. 
And they weren't wrong because he didn't return in their lifetime. I mean, theologically, all Christians are called to believe that Christ will return in our lifetime. We ought to believe that Christ could return at any moment. That's the proper disposition. It's not that Paul was wrong. It's that you're supposed to behave this way. And so he's saying, knowing that the time is short, the, the time before Christ comes is short, we need to change the way that we look at everything. We need yeah. to change the way that we view the world. We should live as if the end of the world was at hand. Um, so when Paul says, let those who have wives act as though they had none, he's not telling Christians to renounce sex, because again, he just said the opposite. What he means is that married couples should live out their marriages in... Uh, I'm, I'm quoting Richard Hayes. He says, in a watchful awareness that the present order of things is not ultimate. In a watchful awareness that the present order of things is not ultimate. Live your marriage in a way that you understand that this is not the way the world will always be. And I'm reminded, I brought, the, I, I put this on our Facebook site, so just asked for prayers yesterday. Um, but a, a friend of mine, a guy I went to college with, just died yesterday. And he... Very, very sad story. Just He was this guy who was kind of the life of the party. Everybody loved him. And um, he was diagnosed with it. He found out he had cancer just around Christmas. It was a very, very short time. He has three children, one on the way. And um, yeah, he just left this world yesterday. But the picture I put up on our Linky Eyes Facebook site, and it was on my personal one as well, it's this picture of Paul in the bed. He's got the ventilator. He's, got, he's hooked up to all the stuff. He's holding Anne's hand. And the way that they're looking at each other, I actually quoted J.D. Flynn, who's a friend of ours, who said, and actually, it's, it's so good. I'm just going to, I have to read what J.D. said about it. Now, again, go to our Facebook site and you can, you can see this picture. But what um, J.D. Flynn is that, you know, Paul, our friend, is approaching the end of his life. His wife by his side, there is a love between them which is not shaken by the fear of death. This is what hope looks like. That picture is what hope looks like. And that event yesterday put a whole new spin on this second reading for me. And, and I read it today in a way that I had not read it before what happened yesterday. Because I saw this picture of Anne and Paul who are grieving. And I'm sure she's mourning and she's going to have a terrible road ahead of her dealing with, you know, what does life mean without my husband? But they're looking at each other in this picture, and I know I've, I've read what Anne has been saying and what she's been praying and the way that Paul lived his last hours and days. Yeah. They looked at their marriage in a way that transcended this earthly reality yeah. because they realized that the world in its present form is passing away mm. and that death is not the end. I mean, to, to counter what Paul is saying, what Paul is saying not to do— yeah is sit in that hospital bed and think, this is the end. This is My life is over. My spouse is leaving me. Everything I have is gone. I'm done. I'm finished. He says, don't live like that. Yes. Live as though you understand that the present world, the world in its present form, is passing away. It doesn't mean don't weep. It means weep and mourn and yes. rejoice knowing that mourning and weeping does not have the final say. It means approach death, approach the things of this world, approach your houses and your homes and your marriage and your children and your taxes and your job as though you realize that there is actually more to the cosmos than this. Yes. And if you, your spouse happens to die, God forbid, death cannot actually separate you from the love of Jesus Christ that you have for each other. That's how I read Paul. Yes, I've been talking a lot about this. Like I've been, I've been researching a ton about the seven deadly sins. Like I just, I, I that's where I've been living. Like in my free time, I've just been going through and huh. dealing. 
And and the the thing that struck me is is Aquinas's definition of pride is the inordinate attachment to one's own excellence. Ooh. So it's not that one is not excellent or the world has beautiful, profound things, but it's the attachment to. And so it's this question of like, how do you live in a way that is that is actually sufficiently detached? Yeah. Not not yeah, not in yeah. a cold not in a cold right. way, but but in the way that you're you're trying to describe of saying like, right. no, this is not the final say. Even now, like what this all points to, right. haven't we been doing our Sherlock Holmes work? Yeah. Haven't we been looking at these clues to saying like, what is come? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. We it hasn't even dawned on us what's what's about to hit us. Yes. So so that's like so then when I hear that it does yes. does it mean it's not suffering? No, it really hurts bad. Yeah, suffering is still suffering. If suffering is still suffering, and 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 love and good times are still love and good times. But even if we're attached to the suffering, this is actually one of the hard things. Yeah, is we we have to detach from from everything, yes. and and see it in a sober light. Otherwise, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be down a down Otherwise, the wrong road. The things of this world will destroy us. Uh, they yeah. will. The concerns of this world, the worries of this world, the suffering that we see all around us, it will destroy us, and yes. we will fall into a people of hopelessness, yep. which is what our culture is. I think that's the best way to describe our culture. It's not. I mean, you could split it on political lines, on financial lines, you know, whatever. But all at the end of the day, what we have is a culture of hopelessness. There is no hope. Yeah. So let's abort people because there's no hope. They're going to be poor. They're going to be whatever. Let's euthanize people because suffering. Jeez, we don't want them to suffer, right? There's no hope beyond those things. And if the one mm. group of people, Christians, who are supposed to be a people of hope, if we have no hope, then a hopeless world stands absolutely no chance. Yes. That's what Paul is saying. Yeah. And and, and despair, I think, is about surety. Mm. Despair is about being sure. Oh, wow. That's a good... I've never thought of it that way. Hopelessness is oh. about being sure. Wow. Because Wow, I'm sure that there's nothing. I'm sure I'm that sure. this is the end. I'm, I'm sure, sure this is going to be so bad. Wow. I'm sure that this is... Huh. I need to be sure about this. And in fact, it's about control. It's about exerting human will over, over top of God's will. Yeah. That's why we have to release and then welcome to the adventure. Yeah, and totally. This is what I know, though, is like, dude, when you when you forsake despair for the adventure, welcome to the next level, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Which leads us into Das Gospel. Das Gospel. Das Gospel. I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> I, dude, my German is so weak that you know what happened is that I went in in high school. Oh, I thought this was a pun. No, no. How weak is it? I went in, I, I, <laughs> I decided to sign up for German when I was in high school. Okay. And uh, I went in and went to one class and uh, and... I was like, there's no way ever. So, Mark, one uh, 14 to 20. <laughs> that wasn't as funny a story as I was expecting. Hey, dude, that's, you know what's really funny is that I, I, like, that I believe that God's providence, he makes me funny and he doesn't make me funny <laughs> and and that and that that just it's it's like you, you know how like great saints they talk about they're like they're like if whether or not i am healthy or sick it is mm. the lord's yes mine i'm so weak i have to be like whether or not i'm funny or not funny oh, it's the lord you are funny brother peter dude i was laying out some a material on some people the other day in mass oh, no. and they like nothing nothing i mean <sighs> i was talking about starting bands in my homily, dude, I because my oh. new my new band is going to be called Forerunner. Okay. F O U R or F O R E? 
F O R E, forerunner, uh-huh. like like the forerunner of the gospel. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. I like that. So, okay. So, Mark. Anyway, immediately um, something happened. I don't know. <laughs> That's just oh, my guess. Whenever you have Mark, no, you no could just say immediately, and most likely you're going to be in. As, Not this time. I know. Well, okay. Here's uh, oh, so much. Después. After John had been arrested, so that's John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of the fulfillment. The, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. Um, so two things. Number one, um, John John we, was talked about during the baptism, right? So we, we met John a yeah. few verses before. We'll see John again, I think it's in chapter three of Mark, when he's eventually beheaded. But every time you see John, well, the two times you see John from here out, mm-hmm. he's connected to the disciples. So here, his arrest is mentioned right in the shadow of the calling of the disciples. And then later on, it'll, Jesus will send the disciples out two by two to go and preach and do all the stuff. Yeah. And smack in the middle of it, Mark will sandwich a story about John's beheading. In oh. the middle of the disciples going out to preach. And I think what he's doing is, in not so subtle a way, showing that the call of discipleship just might get you martyred, as oh. happened to John. He's connecting that. He wants you to see, look, the way that John went, it's connected to the way of discipleship. That's what it looks like sometimes. Again, this is what Jonah didn't see. Dude, you just blew my mind. Like, you just cracked the whole thing wide open right here. Correct. It, like well, that's good because I mean what we're connecting we're connecting last week's readings with yeah, Samuel yeah, yeah, we're yeah. connecting the 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 first reading we're t- connecting Paul actually yeah. having to to kind of lay out this prophet like what does this look like yeah. it, to to be able to go in the world and be martyred and yeah. and here you know we have the Gospel of Mark saying yeah guess what this is what it's going to look like which is really important contextually for Mark yes because w- this is most likely written for the Romans under persecution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Because so, that's why he's always defining, you know, translated terms and mm-hmm, all these sorts of mm-hmm, things. But mm-hmm. they're facing the fact that they're facing the lions, like for real. So yeah. so Mark is actually laying out this reality that you're going to have to go to the bone kingdom and say something. Totally. And so, I mean, there, there's the kind of face value of yeah. Jesus comes saying, repent and believe in the gospel. By the way, um, that line, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In um, both Matthew and Mark, these are the first words out of both John the Baptist and Jesus's mouth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Th- th- that term at hand yeah. is the Greek word egeken, um, which- That's going to be my next band. Egeken, baby. Egeken. Egeken is a unique word, though, because it appears in uh, the past- perfect it's a past perfect participle oh kind of like uh, kikari to tomine kind of like kikari tomine um and it's unique in all languages but greek as well whoa um in that uh, the perfect tense we don't have the perfect tense we have past present and future so i went to the store i'm at the store i'm going to the store the perfect tense implies something that um has already happened and and has been totally completed and continues on so literally when it says it's at hand it literally is here. It's there. It's like you can reach out and grab it. That's why I like the translation of at hand. So if there's this thing that's descended upon, the thing that Jonah was talking about coming yeah. in the first reading, look, God's wrath is, is coming upon you. There's judgment on the way. It's future tense. Now Jesus is saying, look, it's here. It's upon you. Yeah. Not stressing as much the wrath piece yeah. of it, but he, he is saying, repent, look, turn around. Yeah. Repent, literally, it's not a theological word. It's a spatial word. It means literally turn around, go back the other way. 
because the kingdom is actually here. It's at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? It's that God sent his son. He sent he, he, he himself came to save his people. And he's coming with a mighty hand to defeat your enemies. So this is this is the word that Jesus comes preaching. And then we, we segue right into the calling of the first disciples. Simon, Peter, is mentioned first, which is going to be a theme for the rest of the Gospel of Mark, that Peter has this priority. But here's what's weird. So it says, He passed by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets in the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, he does the same to James and, and John, the son of Zebedee. But the thing is, in the ancient world, in Jesus' times, uh, when people wanted to follow a rabbi, a teacher, when they wanted to be disciples, they would seek the rabbi out and basically beg to be taken in as disciples, as apprentices. It's unheard of for a rabbi to go and actually call apprentices to himself. Really? Nobody does that. They go and they, you know, the teacher is the sage. They kind of sit there. They're austere. They're kind of apart, right? (laughs) And you go to them. You want their advice. You want to follow them. Never do you see a teacher taking the initiative to go and get them. Yeah. And again, this is where Jesus looks a lot like Jonah in the best sense of yeah. it. He's going to go out. It's not enough for the Ninevites just to hear about this. He's going to go into the heart of them oh. and go and get them. So that's yeah. what Jesus is doing. He's not waiting for disciples to follow him. He's going and picking the ones that he chose. And and the fact, you know, if you if you read the concept of this, the, Andrew and uh, or James, rather, and John, Right, they had their father Zebedee. They had a bunch of hired men in their boat. This sort of implies that they were probably pretty successful fishermen. If they had a bunch of hired servants and workers and stuff, they've got a prosperous business. Yeah. So it's not just oh, they're here in their fishing boat and they're going to take off. They've got, they've got employees. They've got their father. They've got probably a, you know multiple boats. Who knows? Yeah. They're leaving all of it because the rabbi has come and found them. Wow. Which is, I mean, you can apply that to Jonah in so many ways. Number one, the idea that Jonah is called to go to them and call them. But that's not the heart of it. I mean, yeah, that's a piece of it. But more than that, you have Jonah himself who is running away from God. And what does God do? The God who created all things. You've read the poem, The Hound of Heaven. Absolutely. I love The Hound of Heaven. That's what God is doing to Jonah. Jonah wants to run. God, who is God, could be like, well, heck with you. Forget you. I'll find somebody else. Yep. But God is relentless. He seeks him out. He chases him down. He hounds him because he wants him. He goes after him just like Jesus. Again, doesn't just sit around teaching austere things and waiting for people to follow him. He goes after them and he gets them, which is what God does for us. For us and for the Ninevites and for the worst enemies that we can imagine, why? Because the world in its current form is passing away. What you see is not reality. Suffering is not the end. So because the world as it looks to us is not the reality, we have a God who's going to come and get us and find us and sweep us off our feet to try to show us, no, there's more to this world than what you see. And I desperately want to show that to you. That's, I think, what all of these readings are kind of harmoniously singing together. In what? In acrostic way, like the psalm did, saying it's everything from A to Z. That's what God wants. He wants all of you. He wants all of creation. He wants all the nations, and he wants it in totality, and he's going to come and get it, and he's not going to give up until he gets it. I, that's that's awesome. I, I, I think about how, like, the uh, Archbishop Chaput, uh, Charles Chaput of Philadelphia, yeah. he, uh, he was the first one who turned my heart from being in that defensive kind of come ye 
mm. position of the church to yeah. to the offensive one. We're like, no, we're going to go out and it's going to be awesome. Yes. And who who showed me what it means to actually go and seek out disciples. And, and like, that's the whole nature of the, I mean, look at the Great Commission when Jesus ascends. Yeah. He doesn't say, it's not a come ye gospel. He says, go out to all the nations and baptize them in the Father's. But the, the imperative is the go. Yes. Baptizing and preaching the kingdom is implied. Yes. In the imperative, which is go. Go, therefore, baptizing is grammatically what it says in Matthew 28. Yeah. Go, therefore, future perfect. Yes. Right? <laughs> future, pl- pl- perfect future. Let's go with that. Yes. <laughs> which is really beautiful yeah. because it means there's hope for the likes of us. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Oh, no. Oh, hold on. I mean, sorry, that, that was a diss to myself. I knew that was. <laughs> I was just doing that. You guys, it was awesome to be able to share this time with you. Indeed. Scott, thanks for your insight, man. Thank you for your insight, Father Peter. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. We will um, be back next week with a brand new episode. Yes, and um, we will be filled with hope. Mm, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's going to be horrible. <laughs> oh, come uh, on, stop it. No, no, see, I was I was demonstrating I the principles that we have de- uh, delineated for the I peeps. It. I got it, I got it, I get it. Yo, my peeps, keep it real. You know, listen to S- Father Stan Fortuna's Sacro Song. We were listening to that before the podcast yeah, today. I bet we were. I just figured I'd give them a little advertisement. Check out our sponsor, uh, Verbum.com. Yep. Uh, they, uh, if you're looking for some uh, truly phenomenal scriptural software, they will hook you up. True that. And uh, uh, you uh, use the coupon code Lanky, and uh, it will. Lanky guys. Lanky guys. That's yep. our coupon code. Fifteen percent off. And everything. Of everything, and and that'll be totally the way to roll. So. Keep it real. God See bless you, you next all. Week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week. <laughs>